You were running well. Speaking of the Galatians. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. If you would, pray with me. Father, we come before You again now in this moment as we open Your Word before us and we seek to to understand it, to, to know it, to receive it into our own hearts and to obey it. Father, I ask that You would be with me now as I seek to, to preach Your Word to Your people. May it come across with clarity and may You give them ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that receive it with joy. Oh, with joy. Father, we thank You for the Apostle Paul who wrote these words long ago. And we thank You that these words are Your words. They come ultimately from You. And as David wrote long ago in Psalm 19, Lord, Your Word is perfect. It revives the soul. It is sweeter than honey and it is to be sought after. It is a great joy to know and, and to understand it. Father, may You be with us. May You fill us with Your Holy Spirit as we walk through it together this morning. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So last week, we were in verses... 1 to 6 in in chapter 5. And as we were walking through those verses together, what we were looking at was Christian freedom or gospel freedom. And something that we saw about this freedom is that it is a freedom like no other. There is no other freedom like Christian freedom or gospel freedom, the freedom that is found in Christ and found in Him alone. Because it is only through this gospel freedom that we can be set free from the demands of the law, speaking primarily of the Mosaic law or the law of God and also any form of law. It's only through gospel freedom that we can be set free from the wrath of God from the power of death, from sin and guilt. And also, it is only through gospel freedom, through the freedom of Christ, that we can be set free from the power of Satan. Only through the gospel will you find freedom from these things. Therefore, it is only within the gospel that you find true Freedom. That you find true freedom. But also, we saw last week, and we will also see again this morning, that this freedom does not produce a type of spiritual anarchy. It does not produce people who just do whatever they want to do. Come up with their own form of law. No, this freedom produces a people who are enabled to joyfully and freely submit to the will of God. That is what the freedom found in the gospel produces. It produces a people 
who are enabled to joyfully and freely submit to the will of God. And as we begin here this morning in verse 7, we see that the Galatians, the Christians that Paul has been writing to in this letter, they were running well in that freedom. As he says in verse 7, you were running well. They were running well in Christian liberty. They were running well in their freedom that Christ had bought for them. They were running well in the Christian life. But as we've been seeing throughout this letter, at some point, they had been hindered from obeying the truth. They had been cut in on, as, as Paul says in that, in that verse. That's what he means there. They, they're running, picture the Galatians running the race of the Christian life, and then all of a sudden someone cuts in on them and causes them to stumble. That's what happened to them. They had been hindered in their race in the Christian life and the freedom that they were running in. And so Paul asks them, he says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now undoubtedly, Paul knew something about the people who had hindered the Galatians from running the Christian life well. He had knew something about them because he had run into them at one point in time. As we were looking at in chapter 2, I believe, whenever he had gone to Jerusalem, and people there had gone into this meeting that he had with the, the apostles there, and they were spying out his Christian freedom, his Christian liberty. They were spying it out. So he had run into these people at one point in time. But he doesn't know the particular people, like their names, their identity. He doesn't know who exactly are the people hindering the Galatians. And so he asked them, who has done this to you, Galatians? Who are the people who are hindering you from running the Christian life well? Who are these people? Who has caused you to stumble in your freedom? Who has caused you to turn from the true gospel, from true gospel freedom to another so-called gospel, as he says in the beginning of, of chapter 1? One thing is for certain although Paul may not know exactly who these people are, who these false teachers are, what their names are. I mean, you can identify them as the, the Judaizers, but he doesn't know their specific names. But one thing is for certain, they are not from God. As he says, this persuasion, in verse 8, is not from Him who calls you. These people who were hindering the Galatians were not from God. And the message, or their persuasion as Paul calls it, was not coming from God. Ultimately speaking, it has not come from God. These people are not from God. Their message is not from God. They are not truly followers of Christ. Because God will never seek to hinder His people from obeying the truth of the gospel. And He will never send people or teachers or preachers to His people that would seek to hinder them or to cause them to, to stumble in the truth of the gospel. God will never seek to do that to His people. He may give you trials... You know, He may make your life hard, but when God makes your life hard, He always does it for your good, to build you up in your faith, to ground you in His promises, in trusting Him, right? That's not what these people are doing. That's not what their hindrance is doing to the Galatians. This hindrance is causing them to turn away from the Gospel, which is something that God will never do. He will never do anything to cause His people to turn from Him and to, and to turn from the truth. So these people are not from God. And if they are not from God, then ultimately that means what? They're from Satan. If a 
teacher or a preacher comes to the people of God and he seeks to hinder them in the truth, he seeks to turn them away from the truth of the gospel, that person is not from God. And if he's not from God, then there's only one other place or one other person that he can be from. And that's from Satan. Like we were looking a few weeks ago when Jesus told the the Jews in His day, you are not of Abraham, and ultimately you're not of God. God is not your father. No, you are of your father, the devil. Because they were seeking to hinder the people of God in that day. And so the same thing is true here. And this is something that we as Christians need to key in on. We need to pay attention to this. Because if you are ever in a situation where you have persuasion coming your way or teaching or preaching coming your way that would seek to hinder you from obeying the truth, you need to know that it's not from God. You know, you need to have your spiritual antennas up, paying attention, your spiritual nose sniffing around, paying attention to these things. You need to know when someone is either preaching the truth to you or if they're not. Because they're not going to blatantly tell you they're not, right? They're not going to tell you, hey, I'm a false teacher and I seek to lead you away from the truth. No, they're going to come across as a legitimate teacher. They're going to come across as if they know the Bible and that they preach it well. They may have a charismatic attitude or personality. They may sound good. You may like them as a person. You know, you may like their personality. You may count them as your friend, love to have them over at your house. You know, spend regular time with them. But if ultimately, if their lifestyle, if their preaching, if their message, if it contradicts the truth and if it seeks to lead you away from the truth of the gospel and from gospel freedom, they're not from God, they're from Satan. And you need to know that, Christian. You need to be aware that people like that are out there. They are on your TV screen. They're in your community. They're in our community. It's very easy for us as Christians to be gullible in that way, right? Because we we are a people who, and rightly so, we show mercy, we, we love people, we care about them, but at the same time we know we need to know when we are called to stand firm in the truth and when we are called to oppose people. So Paul warns these Christians. He warns them that if they do not stand up against this false teaching, that it will will only spread. And he says this in verse 9. He says to them, using a proverb, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He gives a picture of leaven, which was mixed in with dough, making bread, that it would be used to cause the dough to rise, to make the loaf of bread rise. And when you were to use leaven, it only took a little bit. You only had to use a little bit of leaven and it went a long way. And so that's what he's saying here to the Galatians. Galatians and Alt's Chapel, if you put up with false teaching, if you allow it to infiltrate your church and you allow it to stay, even if it's just a little bit, you know, oh, it's, it's just one person, we don't really have to confront them about it. We don't really need to say anything about it. Maybe it'll just go away. You know, we can kind of just ignore it a little bit. You know, don't pay attention to it. Don't let it, don't take it to heart. Just let it go away. No. Paul's saying, if you don't stand up to this, it's going to be like leaven and it's going to spread throughout the whole lump. It will consume you like it was consuming them. This wasn't just going on in one individual church in Galatia. This had spread through multiple churches. 
And it was so bad that these people, as I mentioned a moment ago, and as we've been seeing throughout the letter, they were beginning to turn from the truth. They were beginning to turn from the gospel. They were beginning to accept this persuasion. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you do not deal with it, if you do not stand up against it, if you do not confront it with the truth, it will consume So we are called to to resist it. We are called to stand against it in truth and with love. When you stand up against people in truth, you're not being hateful to them. You're actually loving them, right? To be hateful would be to just let it continue. You would be a hateful person if you did not say something to a person who was convinced that their, their false understanding, that their misunderstanding was right. And you just let them believe it and never said anything to them about it. That would be hateful. Because if you never said anything, or if anyone never said anything, then what would happen ultimately whenever they, you know, when they died, when their life was over? They, they would stand before God in judgment. So we are called to resist it. We are called to stand against it in in love and in the truth. But in, in the midst of all of this, in the things that were going on in Galatia, Paul, he, he's confident. He has confidence that these Christians will take no other view. He's confident that they will resist the persuasion of the Judaizers. He, and, he is, and he is also confident that the Judaizers themselves, the false teachers, will face judgment. He says in verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Now how can Paul have such confidence in the Galatians, right? I mean, after all, Paul has called the Galatians foolish multiple times. Chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians! How can he have such confidence in a people that he himself has called foolish because they're guilty of beginning, anyways, to turn from the truth? I mean, would you have confidence in these... Could you write these words? Thinking about the, the context of all of this, what was going on in that church, I mean, these people are on the verge of turning from the gospel. So how... Could you, or how could Paul, write, I have confidence that you will take no other view? Where, where, is, where is Paul's confidence grounded? Paul's confidence is grounded in the Lord. As he says there in, ver- in the beginning of verse 10, he says, I have confidence in the the Lord, that you will take no other view. So Paul's confidence in these Christians is not rooted and grounded in them. His confidence is not in their ability to stand firm in the truth. Because he knows if it was left up to them, they would have already made shipwreck of their faith, just like all of us would have. Right? If your faith ultimately depends upon what you can do, your own ability, you will fail. Today, you would have already failed. Yesterday and the day before that, you would have failed. So Paul says, my confidence is not in you, Galatians. My confidence is in the Lord who called you to your faith. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who called the Galatians into fellowship with Himself. And that's where Paul's confidence is rooted and grounded. The ability of God to keep His people. The ability of God, like we sang last week after the message, that He is able to hold His people fast. If the Galatians are truly Christians, if they are truly born-again Christians, if they truly love 
the truth and are grounded in the truth, even though they may be new Christians and may have misunderstandings about some things. Paul knows that ultimately the Lord will hold them fast. He will be with them. And He will begin to show them that this persuasion from Satan is not the truth. And that's true of every church. And that gives me great encouragement as a pastor. And it should give you great encouragement as a Christian. As a pastor, this gives me great encouragement because your salvation does not depend upon me and how great my preaching is. It does not depend on how good of a message I can give you each Sunday. It does not depend on how good of a counseling session I can give you if you call me and you're having a hard time. No, my confidence like Paul is if you're in Christ, then He will hold you fast. Yes, the Christian life will be hard, but He will hold you fast and He will not let you go. He will give you a theological nose to sniff out error. He will give it to you. I remember very early on in my Christian life, and and some of you may be able to to relate to this, very on in my Christian life, this is whenever I had just started coming to church, I, I knew very little. All I knew is that I wanted to know the truth. I wanted to know the Bible. I wanted to, to learn it, to, to know it, to see Christ. And so one of the ways that I began to do this is, you know, I watched TV preachers. You know, in my spare time, I mean, they were on TV. You know, I wanted to, to listen to the truth as much as I could, so why not turn the TV on and see what these guys are all about, right? And I watched guys like Creflo Dollar, which his name should just kind of make your nose start, okay? Creflo Dollar, which I don't, I don't mean to despise the man's name, even though it's kind of a coincidence, I guess, that he is a false teacher and yet his last name is Dollar and he's in love with money. Anyways, so I would see people like him. I would watch people like Joe Osteen, which, by the way, at that time in my life was very, very attractive. His preaching was very, very attractive. I remember one particular message that he was preaching and he would always bring in this feel-good stuff, right? You know, if you want to draw in a bunch of people, you know, that's what you have to have in your messages. You have to have feel-good stuff. And I remember he was talking about the bumblebee in this particular message and how, according to science and facts, the, the bee is not supposed to be able to fly. You know, its body is way bigger than what its wings are supposed to be able to support. But it does fly. And then he... He contributed that to God, which is true. So he began to take that and say, do you see how the bumblebee flies? I mean, this is a work of God. And then he applied that to his people, making them feel good. He's like, okay, when you're against all odds, you know, God will be there for you. When you need money or whenever uh, you have a dream that you want to accomplish, even whenever it's against all odds, you know, he would say things like this, God will do this for you. But it was in a very me-centered way, right? It was all about you or me. It wasn't about God and His glory and making much of Christ, which is blasphemy. So I began to watch, I watched guys like that. And they were very attractive, but thankfully, the Lord had given me a theological nose that eventually, and with the help of Christian brothers and sisters who were a lot more mature in their faith than I was, I began to see their error. And I began to watch and to read Christian authors and watch Christian pastors and preachers who did proclaim the truth. So all of that to say, you know, even new Christians who just stumble and fumble along, God is with them, Christ is with them, and He will hold and fast, he will give you a theological nose to sniff out error. And Paul is confident that the Lord will do the same for the Galatians here. He is confident in the Lord's ability and not their 
ability. But also, he not only has confidence in the Lord's ability to hold these Christians fast in the truth, but he is confident that the Lord will bring judgment on the one who seeks to wreak havoc on his church. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. But you can bet that the Lord will bring justice upon the one who seeks to wreak havoc on his church. The one who seeks to lead astray his people. If, like the people that I just mentioned, those preachers and teachers on TBN and other pastors and preachers within our community and people like that who, who preach prosperity gospels, man-centered gospels. God may not judge them today or tomorrow, but He will when Christ returns. And Man, when I think about that, I, I shake. I, I fear for them. Can you imagine what it would be like for them to stand before Christ, the living Christ, almighty Christ, the triumphant Christ who says when He comes back we'll have fire in His eyes and a sword coming out of His mouth. Not literally, but figurative language. But could you imagine standing before this Almighty Christ being a person who sought to lead astray His people that He bought with His precious blood? That's a fearful day. And oh may God grant repentance to these teachers as, as Paul told Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe. May, may He grant repentance to these men because if they do not, they, they will see, see a horrific end because of seeking to lead people, God's people astray. Now, as we come to, to verse 11, Paul switches from talking about the the Judaizers, these false teachers, he switches from talking about them to talking about himself. He says, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, and he's he's referring there to this works-based righteousness form of gospel, the gospel that they were preaching, that you can be saved through circumcision or something that you can do. So he's talking about here. But if I, if I still preach this type of gospel, because Paul did at one time preach this before he became a Christian. But brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So at some point, the, the Judaizers, it seems, had told the Galatians that Paul was preaching a message similar to theirs. That he was still preaching circumcision. That you still needed these parts of the law to, to be justified before God. Paul, however, he denies that claim. And I want you to look closely at how he goes about denying it. So he he asked the question, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, if I still preach this type of gospel, this works-based gospel, and then what does he say next? How does he justify himself in this moment? Why am I still being persecuted? This is how Paul denies preaching a gospel like theirs. He says, I'm being persecuted because of what I preach. Paul's being persecuted for the gospel message that he preaches, unlike the Judaizers. Now why why is that? Why, Why is Paul being persecuted for his gospel message, whereas the Judaizers are not being persecuted? What's the difference? Well, with works-based righteousness... You know, I could sit here and tell you that you can save yourself. And you like to hear that. You would like to hear that you can save yourself, right? I mean, that makes us feel good. You know, that strokes our pride. 
Oh, yeah, I can save myself. I'm, I must be something. You know, that just strokes our pride. It gives us the big head, things like that. But what Paul's message doesn't do that. He says, no, you can't save yourself. In fact, in order to be saved, you must first die. <laughs> Your pride must be put to death if you want to be saved. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 18 to 25. This is why the cross... That the true gospel message is so offensive and why he's being persecuted. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then jumping down now to verse 29, this is why God has done everything that He's done, you know, in the way that He's done this, the way that He brought about salvation. Verse 29, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. One of the ways or one of the reasons why God has worked out His plan of salvation from eternity past, the way that He has, is so that you and I and every human being cannot boast in the presence of God. When you stand in the presence of God, you have no ground to boast. The only thing that you can boast in, as Paul will later say in this letter, is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, in our natural, fleshly state, we can't stand that. We don't want any part of that. You know, Ron Spillers, in his fleshly state, you know, I like me. I like to make much of me. I like to, to tell a story, and at the end of the story, I, I'm the hero of that story. But the gospel is not like that. You're not the hero of the story, and it's not about you. It's all about God and His glory, and it crushes your pride. And it puts to silence your boasting, my boasting. And this is what Paul preached. So he's being persecuted for it. The people that he's been preaching this to, some of them anyways, they don't like to hear this. And so they persecute Paul for it. Alts Chapel, our gospel message that we've been given by the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a glorious one. It brings freedom wherever it is received. But you must know and you must understand that it is also an offensive message. Offensive because it crushes the pride of human beings and it puts to silence the boasting of human beings. And I want you to really just think about that for a moment. Because this means that you, like Paul, can be sure that you will face persecution in some shape, form, or fashion in your life. If you preach the true gospel, that is. Like what Paul is saying here. And like we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You will face persecution. 
So have you, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 14, or as He asked, have you counted the cost? Jesus was very clear whenever He preached the gospel to the people in His day. He preached the glories of God. Yes, He did. And the reward that they would receive when he when they came to him, but he also said, "You need to count the cost because you will suffer for my sake." In that same paragraph in Matthew chapter fourteen, where he asks, "Have you uh, do count the cost? Have you counted the cost?" He he would then go on to say. Or he would then go on to describe what this cost looked like. Looks like. He he told the people that were standing there before him, "If you would follow me, you must deny yourself daily. In other words, you must die to yourself daily. Pick up your cross and come. Follow me." Have we truly? and deeply counted the cost. We have it easy in America for now. One day that may change. It seems like it, it's going to change. Maybe sooner than later. So are you prepared to suffer for the sake of Christ in preaching the gospel? But no in counting the cost, that it is totally worth it. Because at the end of your suffering, like at the end of Christ's suffering, is treasures and reward beyond all measure. Because you get God. You get Christ. It's totally worth it to suffer and to receive the greatest joy ever. The Judaizers, however, through preaching circumcision, works-based righteousness, they were avoiding and removing the offense of the cross. They didn't want any part of this persecution or this suffering. They wanted to preach a message that you know, made much of them, that puffed themselves up, that they received praise from, like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Their, their type of teaching, the way that they had distorted the truth, it resulted in what? They, they were praised. They were thought well of. They weren't persecuted like Christ's disciples were. People who preach a gospel like this, they are avoiding and they are removing the offense of the cross. And in thinking about this, in thinking about what these false teachers are doing, Paul is is furious. And so he writes in verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you, or going back to verse 7, those who cause you to stumble, who have hindered you, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves or cut themselves off, as the NIV puts it. Paul is telling the Galatians and these Judaizers, you know, you want to persist in teaching circumcision and telling people that you need to cut off your foreskin to be saved, then you need to go ahead and go the whole way and cut yourself off. That's what he's saying here. You want to keep preaching a message like this? Go ahead and cut yourself off. Because that's not what the gospel is about. That's not what the truth of the gospel is about. That's not what Christian freedom is about. Now, let me say that Paul, in saying this strong language, in this harsh language, he's not saying this, he's not using it to be hateful 
or to just show off his anger toward what's happening in Galatia. No, Paul says this because he loves, genuinely loves and cares for the church of God and desires to see it flourish. He desires to see God's church flourish in their faith and in their freedom. And these men are hindering that by distorting the truth. You think again about what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So it was 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy, like I said earlier. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul called Timothy to be patient with his opponents because God may grant them repentance. So Paul, is he's been patient with these people. But they have persistently taught this nonsense, this garbage. They've constantly, or not constantly, but they've consistently brought it into the church. And so now, he comes to the point and he says, okay, you want to keep doing this, you go ahead and cut yourselves off. If you want to preach that in the church. Paul desires to see the church flourish and also he desires to see these Christians flourish in their faith and in their freedom. Not in the slavery of circumcision or works but in the freedom of the gospel. And that's what he says in the first part of verse 13. Reminding once again, as we saw in verse 1 of of chapter 5, For you were called to freedom, brothers. You were not called to be enslaved. or to be set free from one type of slavery to then be moved into another type. No, you have been called to freedom. True freedom. Like I defined it earlier. You have been set free and you have been enabled to now joyfully and freely submit to the will of God. To freely serve Him. Not try to present yourselves in your own works before Him to be accepted. Not to be enslaved. But our freedom, this this Christian freedom, it does not lead us to, to seeking opportunities for our own flesh all of the time, making everything about us, making it about our own desires. No, Paul tells them, you were called to freedom, brothers. But then continuing in verse 13, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says something similar to this in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, he says this. So he's been talking about the great freedom that we have in Christ. And then he asks, what shall we say then? You know, what shall we say about this great freedom that God has given us in Christ? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Meaning, died to sin. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We have been set free to walk in newness of life. Not to continue in sin. Not to continue gratifying the desires of the flesh. And part of this newness of life, part of our freedom that we have been given, is that we serve one another. As Paul says here in verse 13. 13 where he tells them 
do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's kind of confusing when we first read that, right? I mean, we're talking about freedom. We've been set free from sin and seeking justification through what we can do. We've been set free from all of that. And so now that we stand in this great freedom, Paul says, use your freedom to serve one another. Now, does that sound like freedom? (laughs) You are free, so now serve one another. Sounds like he's almost contradicting himself, right? You're free, but now you're not free. Serve one another. Now, how, how can we bring those things together? How, how does this make sense? I want you to think for a moment what we as, as Christians were like before we became Christians. So before someone becomes a Christian, they have a void within them, right? That cannot be filled. Going all the way back to Genesis Chapter 3, where Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they were thrown out of the garden, away from the presence of God, the void then being created, never being filled completely by what we can find in the world because we were made for God and His fellowship. So we have that there. In all of our life, we, we seek to fill it. You know, we're, we're almost like a vacuum cleaner. We just go, we just go around trying to suck everything into our heart. You know, we make everything about us. We make our marriages about us. You know, my, my wife exists so that I can suck pleasure out of her for my own self. Or my friendships exist so I can Try to find satisfaction in them. You know, we just go around, suck, 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 suck. Give me satisfaction. Fill the void. And that's what slavery looks like. You know, constantly going around, trying to find satisfaction, trying to seek justification in in those types of ways. But when you come to Christ, and when He gives you a new heart, and fills you with the Spirit of God, what happens? You are no longer empty, but you've been filled in Christ, right? He's filled the void. It's no longer there. You're no longer a vacuum cleaner that goes around trying to suck satisfaction and pleasure out of everything else. You've been filled. And so there's no reason to depend upon other people or things in this world to satisfy you or justify you before God. And since you've been filled, now you can overflow in what you've been given. And that's the service that Paul's talking about right here. In our freedom, we are called to serve because we've been filled in Christ. And when you've been filled in Christ, what's going to be produced is that it's going to overflow to other people. You can't help but have the love of Christ overflow into other people's lives. And that's why he brings up the law at this point in verse Uh, 13, where he says, or excuse me, verse 14, where he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In the gospel, you are now enabled to do that. You are now enabled to love your neighbor as yourself. You've been filled in Christ and you've been enabled to love. So I want us to, to gauge ourselves here in this moment. Do we still go around trying to seek and suck satisfaction from the things of the world or from our spouse, from our friends, from our money, from our possessions, things like that? Because if we are, I mean, if that's what defines us, if that's what our character is like, then you're still a slave. You're not free. 
Or are you a person who has been filled in Christ and the love of Christ now overflows from your heart to other people? It's a joy to serve other people. Because all that you need is in Christ. You don't need them to make you happy. You are happy in Christ. And so now your love overflows to make them as you've been made in Christ. That's the result of what it looks like to be free. Now the result of still being a slave is what we see in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. If we are not filled in Christ, church family, we will consume each other. Because we will not be a satisfied people. And if we are not a satisfied people in Christ, then we will seek it in each other and in other things. And we will begin to devour and to bite and to consume each other. So are you filled in Christ? Do you have that newness of life that courses through your veins, that new heart that beats within your chest with the love of Christ? If not, He gives it freely. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to offer anything to God in order for Him to give it to you. It's found through what Christ has done for you. So if your life is defined by seeking and sucking satisfaction out of a sand pit of the world, oh, I plead with you. Get out of the sand and go to the fountain of life, which is Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and oh, we thank you that we have been filled with the newness of life in Christ, the fountain of life that when we come to know Christ, springs of water begin to flow within us and it overflows to other people. We are enabled to, to love each other. We are enabled to obey the law, the law that was once binding to us, that was once crushing to us. We now freely obey it because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And Father, I pray if there is someone here that does not know this great joy, oh, may You open their eyes to see it. Because without it, they will live the rest of their life seeking and sucking satisfaction where it cannot be found. They will be miserable. May You show them true joy. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.